You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. My name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. Glad to be with you this morning. You may not know this about me, but I graduated from Missouri State University with a degree in logistics and supply chain management. And some people are surprised by that because I'm young and I'm a pastor. They just assume that I went to school for this. I did not. I never had any idea that God was going to take my life in this direction until I was just uh, about ready to graduate. So for the first three years or so outside of school, I worked for a logistics firm here in town, analyzing data, managing accounts, et cetera. Um, And I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the actual work that I got to do. I also loved the fact that it allowed me to uh, do my greater passion on the side, which was preach, teach, and make disciples in the church. Um, And even more than that, it it was this great space Um, where just being myself and loving people and loving Jesus and uh, being passionate, I was able to develop relationships um, at that job that are still bearing fruit today. And so um, all this to say that I am passionate. Um, I'm very interested in how Christians, particularly lay persons, can find a deep sense of purpose in their vocation. This has always been something that's really uh, close to my heart. In fact, I... um, as I was graduating and going into logistics, I had this sense that, that God wanted to uh, give me experience and insight out in the world as just as, not as a pastor, you know, just as someone with a job. Um, so that in the future, I thought it was way off in the future, sooner than I thought, but that in the future, when I did become a leader in the church, I could help others um, to do the same, to really live out with uh, their calling and their vocation um, with a sense of deep purpose that is tied to God's mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. So I'm really passionate about that. Um, Now, I know that not everyone here has a job, a paid job necessarily. Not everyone's technically employed, but everyone has a vocation. I just want to talk about this really quick. Um, Vocation is that unique responsibility or set of responsibilities that are given to you by God through which um, he uses you for his kingdom purposes. All right. Um, this means that you might be a student. Maybe a student is your vocation. Maybe you're uh, a mother or a father or a husband or a parent or a child, and through that, there's a vocation there. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mother or a stay-at-home father. Maybe you do have a job, a lawyer, a teacher, whatever. You, you get what I'm saying. We all have a vocation. If you're retired, maybe like my grandpa, uh, part of his vocation was just being a great grandpa, you know, with 10 kids and dozens of grandkids. And what I mean, that's, that was a vocation. He also had a, a wood shop, and he would build things for, for family members. He had a never-ending list of things to fix and things to build. There was a sense of purpose in this, right, through which he served the world. So there are all kinds of vocations you might have. And what I found is that despite the fact that everyone has a vocation, a lot of Christians have a hard time connecting that vocation to this uh, greater sense of God's mission, right? How is what I'm doing, since I'm not a pastor or a preacher or an evangelist or a missionary or whatever, how does my work, my life really matter? How is it really tied to the mission, the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm here to tell you this morning that it is. It is tied, and I want to help us connect those dots. 
Today's scripture is about how a few guys with a fishing business get recruited to be Jesus' top, most important disciples. Peter is the primary suspect, and then you've got James and John. And Peter, James, and John were not just three of the 12. They were the closest three when you look throughout the Gospels. They were the three guys who were the closest to Jesus. He took them to places that he didn't take the other nine. All right, and this is a story of how Peter, James, and John got recruited to be his top apostles, the top leaders in the church. And these guys are just ordinary fishermen. They have a fishing business. Doesn't that blow your mind that Jesus didn't go to like the temple or the synagogue or the religious leaders of his day and recruit those people for his mission? Or like the greatest philosophers of his time and recruit them, right? No, he goes to these guys with a fishing business. And I just think this is, that's very telling. It's how every one of us has a vocation that can be used, redeemed by God for his purposes. All right, let's connect those dots together this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we'll read this in pieces. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. The first question I have for you this morning is, what's your boat? Let me explain. Jesus preached from the boat because it's where he could be heard by the most number of people. It's an acoustical issue, right? There's lots of people in open air. There's a sea and waves crashing and wind blowing. And so it was common in that day for public speakers to put themselves out in a boat and speak from the water, right? Imagine I'm on the sea, you're on the land, and the wind from the sea would carry my voice towards you. It just, it's the best way to acoustically hear the message. So the boat, from the boat, is where Jesus could be heard by the most number of people. And here's what I love, is that when Jesus steps into that boat, he steps into their workplace. He steps into their vocation. And he uses it as a platform to do ministry. There is no distinction here between the religious life and the vocational life, right? There's just this perfect combination of both. We should view our vocations this way. They're boats. It's a boat. It's a platform for Jesus' ministry. It's the place from which his voice can be heard by the greatest number of people. That's your boat. What's your boat? There's no such thing as secular. There's no such thing as a non-religious area of my life. There's not this, you know, I think too often we get tied up in this idea that here's my church life and here's my job or here's my vocation. And no, Jesus steps right into it and he makes all of it his. All of it's a platform. So what's your boat? And how can Jesus step into it? Man, forget the temple. Forget the synagogue. Jesus says, let me use your boat. As a preacher, this is my boat, right? I'm, I'm here inside the walls. Of the, this, this is my boat, but this is not your boat. Yours is outside of these walls, and it's something rather, unique, rather unique to you. Maybe it's your home. Maybe it's your kitchen. Maybe it's your wood shop. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your fraternity. Maybe it's, yeah, I, I don't know. But you've got to answer that question. What's your boat? 
Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch anything. It's like, just, just in case this happens again, I just want you to know, Jesus, I was right, you know. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. I think this is my favorite part of the story. What we have here are professional fishermen who had been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. They come up with nothing. In fact, we're told they were cleaning their nets. They were hanging it up for the day. They'd been there, they'd done that, and they'd come to the conclusion, like I have many times in my life, the fish aren't biting today. Almost every time I've ever been fishing. And so the inclination for Peter to just, with reason, just explain to Jesus, Jesus tells him, go out and try that spot again. Take us out deeper, drop your nets down, and, and just he's got this inclination to say, look, we've been there. Look, we've tried that. It didn't work. We've been out there all night, Jesus, don't you understand? And by the way, we're the professional fishermen here. This is our business, not yours. Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> I love that commercial. The tattoo artist needs to stay in your lane, bro. But that's how I would feel. It's like, Jesus, what are you? And, and then Peter says these, these powerful words, these important words. He says, but if you say so, I will. Do you hear that? But if you say so, I will. Doesn't make sense. I can't make sense of it. But I know that you told me to do it. My, my expertise all my past experience, the whole night that I spent out here says that there's no reason for us to do this and this is a waste of our time. But if you say so, Jesus, I will. You see, Jesus takes us beyond our expertise. The world doesn't need more expert fishermen. The world needs more fishermen who are willing to follow the voice, listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. The world doesn't need more expert teachers. The world needs more teachers who are led by the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't need more lawyers or mothers or whatever, just go on, that are experts in what they do. They need more of us, more Christians, real Christians, who are led by the Holy Spirit. And you see what the result is, is this miraculous catch. Something like they've never seen before. So many fish, the boats are about to sink. That's the result of waking up and, and saying, today, Jesus, I'm gonna do what you say. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it offends my modern sensibilities, if it defies reason, your voice, your Holy Spirit, I'm gonna do what, what you say. Purely on the grounds that you said so. Let's see what God does with your life then. Every day we need to invite the Spirit into what we do, open ourselves to his leading. Because remember what Jesus says. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You hear that? John 15, study that verse, live in that verse, internalize that verse. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, they'd caught fish before without Jesus, so <laughs> what's Jesus really saying? You can do nothing of real, extreme, eternal, significant value. You can do nothing that is really meaningful. You can do nothing with a kingdom impact for my purposes without me. You need me. 
And with me, with the power of my spirit, you're going to do even greater things than me, he says in that very same section. I heard this story on a podcast last year, a guy named Jamie Winship. And I just, I'm going to share it with you because it's just powerful. Jamie Winship is, I think he's probably in his 50s now. And and for years, I think decades, he's been employed by the government to go overseas. And in the, in, mainly in the Middle East, what he does is he pacifies militant groups of people. So his job is just this, like, super dangerous, um, classified work, you know, but he goes into militant groups, violent groups, people who hate each other, who want to kill each other, guns are blazing, and he, he infiltrates their communities, builds relationships, and through the power of the gospel, he pacifies them. Right? He makes them peaceful, helps them to live peace. I mean, this is incredible work, and he's, he's doing it successfully and has been for years. And the government hates the way that he does it, hates that, you know, it's like they can't make sense of the fact that he uses the gospel or the Holy Spirit, you know, to do it. But he does, and they don't care how he does it because he's doing it. And he tells this story about um, prior to this job, he was in New York City police officer, early 20s, and it's his first day, maybe his second day, on the job. He had just finished his training, and, and one of the first calls they get was a child who'd been abducted, right? And so he goes and he visits the parents. Obviously, they're freaking out. No one's got any details. They have no idea which direction the person went, what the person looked like, what the car looked like that took off with them, and so they've got nothing to go off of, but he tells the parents, quite stupidly, really, I promise you we will find your child. And then they leave, and, the, and his partner says, man, you just should not promise things like that. And he's like, yeah, I know, I know. But they're driving away, and uh, he's just staring out the window of his car, and he's troubled, obviously wants to find the girl. And so he starts praying, and he says, God, I need you to make me the best police officer that I can possibly be. I need you to show me what it's like. To, to know things that I wouldn't otherwise know. You know, I need you to speak to me, to guide me, and to lead me places that I wouldn't know to go myself. And I need you to be me, help me be the best cop I can be. As he's praying this, a car drives by. Again, they had no description of anything to go off of. A car drives by that he sees out the window, and he said it felt like he got punched in the gut by the Holy Spirit. No explanation. He just got punched in the gut at the sight of this car. And so he turned around, put the lights on, pulled the car over. He told the man to get out of the car and open the trunk. And guess who was in the trunk? The abducted child. So that year, this is his first week on the job. And so that year, he, he gets officer of the year in New York. And it was a you know, big deal. And, but it wasn't just that year. And it wasn't just that one time. What he learned that day was the kind of officer he could be if he just listened to the Holy Spirit. If he just did things that were seemingly out of the ordinary, but that's the voice of God. And he said it took practice and it took time, but just, but just tuning my ear, tuning my heart, my mind to how God is speaking to me today led him to do things where he built a career unlike any other officer. And five years later, the government is knocking on his door saying, we need you to do what you do elsewhere. How, how are you doing this? And he's like, you're not going to like how I do it, but this is how, you know, it's just incredible the places that the Holy Spirit has taken this guy and the, and the things that the Holy Spirit has done through this guy, um, 
through incredibly unconventional ways. You know, not because he was trained to do things this way. It's, it's, it's bizarre, but it's, it's what it's like to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. I just love that story. If you'd like to listen to that podcast, you can grab me after the sermon. I'll tell you where to find it. I've been talking a lot recently about being filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, um, about ordinary people living extraordinary lives, right? I've had this idea that I can't get out of my mind that at the end of my life, I want, I want to live a life that demands an explanation, right? You remember me saying that? Live a life that demands an explanation. And I want that explanation to not be, he worked really hard, he, he tried really hard, he was really talented, or he, whatever. I want the explanation to be nothing other than God did it. I want people to look at my life, to look at your life, and say there's no other way to explain this than that God did it. That's the kind of life That's the kind of purpose that God promises us no matter where you are, no matter what your vocation is. And it begins by simply saying these words, if you say so, I will. Say this to God, if you say so, I will go. If you say so, I will. Verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and he said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. Peter's response for me, it's very understandable, it's very relatable, because in the presence of a holy and all-powerful God, the natural response is fear. We don't feel good enough. Something about God's holiness that exposes our sinfulness, there's something about God's power that exposes our weakness, and in our own little world that we can fashion, we can make ourselves feel powerful and successful and smart, and we can compare ourselves to each other and build ourselves up, you know what I'm talking about, but in God's world, when God enters into our world, the only natural response is, please leave me, I'm a sinful man. That's Peter's response, I get that. And I love how Jesus responds. He doesn't even acknowledge the sin. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He He says, Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to use you anyway. You're not disqualified for this job. I made you for this job. I made you with this in mind. You're going to be greater than you've ever imagined. So hear that this morning. Don't ever think that you're not qualified to be a co-laborer, a co-worker with Jesus Christ for his gospel, for his kingdom. And that through you, God can't make disciples of Jesus Christ in whatever creative and crazy way he decides to. Never think that you don't measure up. Don't look at people like preachers and and pastors and evangelists and missionaries and say that they're the only ones who get a, a piece of that pie. No, you do too. What are you afraid of? So God wants to give us all purpose. But it's not free. For we read in verse 11 that as soon as they landed, 
They left everything and followed Jesus. We're not all called to be apostles, but we are all called to be disciples. And to be a disciple means to leave everything behind and to follow Jesus. There was a cost to this discipleship. Remember when Jesus said, those who seek to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it or will save it. I'll say that again. Those who seek to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There is a price to this life of discipleship. There's a cost. Somehow we've begun to believe that we can take Jesus' life and keep ours too. It doesn't work that way. That is not the covenant or the agreement or the deal that God made with us. If we want to have Jesus' life, we must surrender our old life to put on the new. If God is tired, God is tired of a Christianity that denies the need for sinners to repent. You hear me? God is tired of a Christianity that bows down to consumerism and says, you know what, you just be comfortable here in this American world and church. Say that you love Jesus and that you're a disciple and that you're going to heaven, but don't change the way that you live. You know what I mean? Like, I'm guilty of this too, but God's tired of it. He's tired of it. God's tired of us reading this book and deciding what we like and getting rid of the rest. God is tired of us denying Christianity of its power. God's tired of having to withhold the spirit from those he loves. Because he can't trust us with that kind of power. God's tired. And if we want the promises within this book, if we want the power of the Holy Spirit, if we want purpose, unimaginable, that we must leave everything behind and follow Jesus for real. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as sinners thankful for your grace and your love, but much in need of repentance. I pray for us to have the courage to take a leap of faith and to give to you the things that we have clung so tightly to from our old life. I pray that you would show us the power of your Holy Spirit right in front of our eyes that you'd give us a miraculous catch. Pray that we'd see your gospel start transforming our lives and the world around us. Help us, Father, to give ourselves more wholly to you. We trust you. We love you. 
Forgive us for abusing your grace, for taking it for granted. It costs you so much. And we renounce the lie that it should cost us nothing. We give you glory. All glory to Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.